everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wild, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rorkraut. And today we have a fun game planned. We are going through different decades, starting with the 1950s and talking about some of our favorite directors from each decade. We will get into like the rules of the game and how it works a little more specifically in a bit. I'm excited to go through a lot of these decades and some of my all-time favorite directors. There are some that, because of the rules, won't be included, which is going to be hard, but I think they're going to come up in other ways, too. So a little bit more about the game. This game was created by Sam Esmail, and he was a guest on the Big Picture podcast through The Ringer, and basically... How the game works is that we are going to start with the 1950s and go all the way up through the 2010s. And for each decade, we will each be picking one director as the winner of the decade and one as the runner-up. How these directors are classified is based on when their first feature came out in theaters. So not short films, not writing credits, none of that. Like their first directorial feature. Because we're an Oscars podcast... Our directors that we choose had to have received at least one nomination for Best Director. So if you're a little bit confused about like which directors will go in certain decades, we will be reading off some big names who are eligible in each category. So you can maybe try to guess who we'll pick or decide who you would pick if you were playing along with us. Definitely like get out the notes app on your phone. We'll be going through so many directors and talking about so many different movies that were really influential to us. So it'll be a lot of fun. And a lot of these directors were listed on a Wikipedia page of directorial debuts that we can include in the description. And that goes back to the 1800s. So check out all of the names there. And then you can follow along with us with some of the bigger names that I think a lot of people are going to be really familiar with. When did you start following particular directors? and seeking out films based on who the director was who made the film. I mean, it was probably in college when we would watch multiple films by the same director. But I think probably on my own, there are probably a few that I'm going to talk about that I was like, oh, I saw this one movie and then looked them up and noticed they had these other really well-known films as well. And I was like, okay, let's watch this and see how it is. Did you have like an early favorite director or one that you followed first oh that's so hard I think that I'll answer that in a few decades maybe more specifically but I definitely like as a kid when I would watch movies would watch them for the actors so if there would be particular actors who I really liked or a story that sounded interesting that's why I would seek out that particular film but then I remember I had a teacher in high school who described directors of films like authors of novels. It was in an English class. And I remember thinking, oh, why don't I view films that way more often? And there were certainly directors who I knew of and who I followed, I think especially because of the Oscars, honestly, and people who were popular like in my own house as favorite directors. But that, I think, was the shift when I started seeking out films by the same directors and then in college I think it just expanded more because most of your film classes I feel are based around genres or directors and maybe I've mentioned this before but 
I think Best Director is like the most coveted award at the Oscars. I would say more so than Best Picture, just because I think it speaks to the craft of a film and not like especially since the provisional ballots came around, less of a political thing. And maybe it still is a bit. I mean, all of the award shows are to some extent. But I think the Best Director Award is one of the most exciting of the night. Yeah, it is. And the hard thing about Best Director, as we work our way through these decades, is that so many icons have never won Best Director. Mm-hmm. And like, why is that? And when you think about certain people who do end up winning it or who have won multiple times. And I think that's a perfect segue into our first decade, the 1950s. Some of the eligible directors here, Michelangelo Antonioni, Federico Fellini, Stanley Kubrick, Robert Altman, Sidney Lumet, John Cassavetes, and Francois Truffaut. I think some of these are icons, auteurs that will be mentioned for forever, really. Yeah, I love films by every single director listed. So this was very, very hard, honestly, for me. This was one of the hardest decades because I think when I was putting my list together, I was trying to decide... Like, okay, am I picking the best director? Am I picking my favorite director? Am I picking my director who has most of my Desert Island films? Like, how am I doing this? And for the 50s, it came down to the person who checked the box for all of those questions, and that's Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I think this is the easiest category for me, just because, hands down, maybe my favorite director of all time he just has so many classics, so many great memorable moments and films that I return to more often than not. It is wild that he's never won Best Director because I think that he is considered to be, for most people who follow this stuff, top five best directors mm-hmm. of all time. The way that he has complete command over his medium and just decided to make films in nearly every genre is so cool to me. He made a horror movie that even if you don't know who Stanley Kubrick is or the rest of his works, most people love The Shining who love horror. Yeah, he's unapologetic in everything he does, but every decision is made so precisely. And I think the grandness to all of his films too. So I think too, even though we both picked Kubrick, I know that we have different favorites. What would you say your top three favorite Kubrick movies are? I would say in order, 2001, The Shining, A Clockwork Orange. Okay. What are yours? Mine are Barry Lyndon, Dr. Strangelove, and Eyes Wide Shut. (laughs) So we don't even overlap. Like that's what's so great. He didn't even make that many films compared to some other big directors, Mm -hmm. but the fact that our top three, which are films that we really love individually, are different. I mean, 2001, I get, is like the Kubrick movie. I'm surprised that's not on your list. I've seen it, and it's beautiful, but I admire it more than I enjoy Mm -hmm. it. But neither of us mentioned Lolita. (laughs) (laughs) Every director has like one or two where... It's a no from me. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other thing about Kubrick that's really incredible is that as we move through the other decades, 
nearly every director that we'll mention towards the end references Kubrick as their inspiration mm-hmm. or as a major influence. Yeah, and he was supposed to direct AI, which eventually Steven Spielberg directed, and then he ended up dedicating that film to Kubrick. So that's our first overlap here. We're going to have quite a few, which is kind of cool. We definitely will, which is, I did not expect that. And Kubrick just generally at the Oscars, he had 13 nominations. He had four Best Director nominations, and then he won one in a very unexpected way for 2001 in Best Visual Effects. That's a great piece of bar trivia to have, everyone. If you Mm -hmm. ever get, like, what is Kubrick's Oscar? (laughs) It's not for Best Director. (laughs) But well-deserved. Like, the fact that he won for visual effects Mm -hmm. for that movie. Yeah. Wait, I should tell my 2001 story. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey in theaters. I mean, it was just the best. And I remember that this dad brought his kids to see 2001. When I'd watched it before, it was on my computer in college, mm-hmm. but I knew like what they were getting into. I was like, you just took your children to a movie with an intermission. Like this is, I don't know how this is going to go, but this is definitely like one of my favorite theater experiences ever because when it starts, these children had popcorn, like butter all over their faces oh my God. and they're looking up at the screen just in awe and their faces are glowing because of the butter (laughs) and it was the sweetest thing ever and I was just like I'm sure this dad is so proud that his kids are so into this and then about 20 minutes later they were asleep (laughs) that sounds about right yeah (laughs) but yeah if you ever get a chance to see any Kubrick movies in theaters definitely do it especially 2001 Mm -hmm. and then who was your runner-up Okay, so I really have a three-way tie, but if I have to choose between Robert Altman, Sidney Lumet, and John Cassavetes, I'm choosing Sidney Lumet. I thought about everyone here, but I think as far as just favorite films go, having 12 Angry Men, Network, Dog Day Afternoon, The Verdict, those are just some great films that Mm -hmm. I think some of them really did change the course of film for years to come and he was just an absolute icon of the 70s and then i know we talked about Sidney lumet when we did our letterboxd podcast on network and we did the 1975 pod on dog day afternoon he has been nominated five times at the oscars four for best director 12 angry men dog day afternoon network and the verdict so those films that i mentioned earlier and then one for best adapted screenplay for prince of the city which i've actually never seen so i need to watch that What about you? My runner-up would be Francois Truffaut, who I love because of the French New Wave and that whole period of French film that Mm -hmm. really sparked and inspired a lot of filmmaking around the world. And I think it's really inventive and fun to go back to. I studied the French New Wave a bit in college. I haven't seen a ton of Truffaut's films But I will say The 400 Blows is my fourth favorite film of all time. And it's one that I've come back to and I still feel the same way about it. And that film is great because it alone has inspired other films like Wes Anderson's Rushmore. And once you see it, you'll never forget the ending. I mean, I can remember watching it for the first time and just the styles of filmmaking that he uses and like camera shots and angles. And what's also fun is that Hitchcock was Truffaut's favorite director 
one I wish we could mention on the pod because he would be an obvious choice. Have you read the Hitchcock Truffaut book? No, and I really want to, and I want to watch the documentary. It's really cool, especially just because interviews. I'm glad you brought up the French New Wave because one of the most disturbing things I realized going through (laughs) these nominees was just how few French New Wave directors were ever nominated for Best Director. Truffaut was nominated, but Eric Romare, who's my favorite, no nominations. Godard was never nominated. Agnès Varda, never nominated. Jacques Demy. There are so many great French New Wave directors that were just never recognized by the Academy. So I am glad that Truffaut was on the list and crossed Mm -hmm. that barrier. He had three total Oscar noms, but only one Best Director nomination for Day for Night. So even he kind of just snuck in there. Okay, on to the 60s, another really tough decade of incredible names. So here are some of the eligible directors. Bernardo Bertolucci, Roman Polanski, Francis Ford Coppola, James Ivory, Milos Forman, Sidney Pollack, Woody Allen, Mike Nichols, William Friedkin, Peter Bogdanovich, Martin Scorsese, Lena Vertmuller, Bob Fosse, and Alan J. Pakula. Did you have trouble with this one at all? Or was this also easy for you? (laughs) This wasn't as easy, but I think these earlier decades are some of my blind spots too so i don't recognize the name and think of like six movies okay i mean there are a couple that i do but i think this was on the easier side was it for you or no this was horrible (laughs) (laughs) because again like asking my questions to myself like am i picking the best am i picking the most formative director for me am i picking Mm -hmm. The one who I still think has the most potential. Like, how how do you do that? That's so hard. And I still look at this list and can make a good case for, like, five of them for me. I would say the way I'm choosing my winners are because, at least for the most part, they're my favorite. If I have trouble and I can't decide, then I'm thinking, like, does one have more movies that I like than the other? Or which one has maybe been more influential, either just in cinema or to other directors? Whose style do I really enjoy more? So that's kind of how I like got it down to one, if not two. So who did you end up picking? So I chose Martin Scorsese here. I also chose Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Another match. This is like the Oscar Wilde snatch game. <laughs> I think this was like maybe easy for me because I mean it's Scorsese. He's been around for a really long time and has so many films. This was very challenging because I love the films of a lot of these directors. Even Bob Fosse, people like that, like I love Cabaret and all that jazz. So it was just hard because some of these guys have really good track records and have made incredible films that are in a style that I am obsessed with and can rewatch like over and over again. But I think there are two reasons why I ended up choosing Scorsese. And the first is that growing up, Scorsese was one of the first directors who was a director to me. His films, and this is also probably like growing up in an Italian-American household, but Scorsese is like a god. His movies just touch that community in a very specific way and you learn more about his movies before you even see them so 
when you do finally get to see them, it's an experience that you just, you savor. And I think also another reason why I chose Scorsese was because of his influence. And one of my biggest frustrations ever is when people say that Scorsese just makes gangster movies. One, because it's just not true. My favorite Martin Scorsese movie is The Age of Innocence. So there you go. That is not a gangster movie at all. The other thing is that he funds the projects and really lifts up the voices of new filmmakers. I know that, you know, people talk about like his disdain for Marvel and for Disney and all of that. But really what it is is that he is like the figure right now in American film who is dedicated to preserving cinema and restoring cinema and making sure that it gets proper treatment and that filmmakers from around the world work together. Like when Bong Joon-ho won Best Director, he quoted Martin Mm -hmm. Scorsese. Like that's just his influence is unparalleled if you're looking at the rest of this group. So I had to choose him. And he's an EP on so many projects now. It's kind of cool to look and see what he's been supporting, like The Souvenir, Uncut Gems, Shirley, which we talked about last year, Pieces of a Woman, his uh, TV series with Fran Lebowitz. Did you Mm -hmm. watch that? Oh, yeah. And I do like his gangster films, but he, like you said, has the ability to make other really personal, intimate movies but also really hilarious satires like The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of range. And I mean, we can mention now Killers of a Flower Moon, which is just going to be so different as well. And then he's making the Devil in the White City TV series. And, you know, he's working on a lot of things. And that I think is also why I revere him too, because, you know, not many people can really pull that off. You can tell in his films that, there's such a high level of craft and precision. So Martin Scorsese has been nominated for Best Director nine times, and he ended up winning once for The Departed. The other nominations he had were for Raging Bull, The Last Temptation of Christ, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, Hugo, The Wolf of Wall Street, and most recently, The Irishman. Who is your runner-up? My runner-up is... Francis Ford Coppola, who is your runner-up? My runner-up is Francis Ford Coppola. This is this is weird. Was there a close second or no? Well, my other one is really complicated because I would say that if I'm looking at this list of which directors were the most influential to me for like the types of films I would like early on, Woody Allen is the answer to that. And yeah, I grew up watching those films because my grandma loved... Woody Allen films so they were like very important to me but I think Francis Ford Coppola has made four perfect movies again getting into the Italian thing I mean Coppola is the other (laughs) if you're thinking of Scorsese Mm -hmm. Coppola was first and you don't have Goodfellas if you don't have The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 which I love both of those I love the conversation and we have Apocalypse Now which I know we talked a little bit about when we covered De Five Bloods last summer I remember when I saw The Godfather for the first time when I was a kid but it wasn't until I studied it in college when we took our mafia movies class (laughs) (laughs) that I really just fully saw the brilliance of Coppola's filmmaking yeah I think a world without The Godfathers is not a world I want to live in Mm mm-hmm It's 
I think one we both love. And so he had 14 total nominations, four for director, and five total wins at the Oscars. An icon. So when Scorsese won Best Director for The Departed, Francis Ford Coppola was one of the presenters for the category. Just thinking how long it took Scorsese to win Best Director and Mm -hmm. how quickly Francis Ford Coppola accumulated all of his Oscars. So moving on to the 70s, some of our directors here, we have Steven Spielberg, Hal Ashby, Clint Eastwood, Mike Lee, George Lucas, Terrence Malick, Jonathan Demme, Oliver Stone, Ron Howard, David Lynch, Ridley Scott, Robert Zemeckis, and George Miller. How was this decade for you? This decade was much easier. There are a few names on here whose works I really do like, but when we think about when these directors are active, directors who make their first feature in the 70s and who continue to make films, I don't love films of the 80s and the 90s as much as I love the films of the 60s and 70s. So I think that's part of it for me. This was okay. I think apart from a few, this is kind of where I molded my decision-making process of filmmakers who have more films than others. And I think as the decades progress, directors can't have made as many films, but I think there are a couple here that have a really large filmography. So I think that's where this decade in particular, I kind of veered and chose somebody who, while I don't like love, love any of these names, it was more of an even playing field. And there was one that like just edged out a couple of the others. So who did you pick for the 70s? I picked Steven Spielberg. What's funny about that is I don't really consider myself to be like a Spielberg person or a Spielberg fan, but I'll describe in a bit, I think, why I chose him. Who did you pick? Mm -hmm. I also chose Spielberg. (laughs) We've never agreed this much ever. (laughs) (laughs) There is a little caveat here. So he made this film Firelight, which we're not counting (laughs) in this game because He made it when he was in high school, which is great. High school students, as a teacher, go pursue your dream. Make your movie. (laughs) Please do it. But it only had a budget of $500, and it only generated a dollar. So it's very much like a student film that got him started. So we're not really considering Mm -hmm. it as his directorial debut. And his debut, which I feel like some also might complain about, was a TV movie called Duel in 1971 so that's why he's in the 70s i saw this a long time ago but i don't know the whole like tv movie thing is fine to me and then he also had the sugarland express in 74 it's not a tv movie so we can just count him in the 70s i'm good with that so why did you choose spielberg was there a particular like spielberg film for you that was influential i wouldn't say there's one but i think if you polled a group of people and you ask them, like, what's your favorite Spielberg? Or what do you think of when you first think of Spielberg? Everybody could mention a different movie. Yeah. And I think that's why he's special and why I chose him here. I think when I think of Spielberg, I think of Jurassic Park and E.T., Indiana Jones, Jaws, things that even Minority Report. I love Minority Report. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but things that I grew up with and are really, really well known, but they also hold up too. And I mean, from there, he has so many others. 
and we do have to give a shout out to Spielberg being an Ohio man as well. Oh yeah, Cincinnati. <laughs> he really is a director too who had huge movies in like every decade. So he's been so active for so long and really changed the shape of the industry. He really kind of created the modern blockbuster. And the first movie that I saw where I felt something really different was Jaws. And that is still, I think, on that list of movies that made me love movies list. And I would also put E.T. on that list and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Even as we work our way up, like I just remember getting to see Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan like later on and knowing that what I was watching was something important. That's how you know that a director is going to have a lasting impact on generations of directors and moviegoers to come. Another thing about Jurassic Park, why this is always a special movie to me, is because it was the number one movie at the box office the day I was born, which I always find whenever that Twitter prompt comes back around. (laughs) So he was nominated for Best Director seven times, and he won for Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List, which I've never seen Saving Private Ryan. Is that bad to say? Oh my god, you should see it. Have you seen Schindler's List? Were you, like, forced to watch that for school? I feel like it was a school thing. Yeah. Yeah. um, I have it. I watched it a long time ago. So another one I know I should revisit, but obviously a hard one, too. So that's not, like, on the top of my list. One thing I do want to mention, though, I think, is that I do think Spielberg sometimes gets a bad rap for being too mainstream. It's not cool to like Spielberg because he makes popular things that pretty much everyone can enjoy and while I do think his later work isn't nearly as impressive as his earlier stuff you can still tell that the director making Lincoln made E.T. Yeah and I think I had trouble with this being my winner because with his more recent movies my interest kind of like peters off. I didn't love Lincoln I know you liked it but like the adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Bridge of Spies, The Post. The BFG. That. Ready Player One, which I don't like hate all of these movies, but I think they're definitely in a different caliber than his earlier films. Mm -hmm. And maybe West Side Story will redeem him, but his older films are what I think of when I think of Spielberg. So that's why, again, Mm -hmm. I chose him. I actually had a different pick for you when I looked at this category because I was really surprised like that you chose Spielberg because I, when I was looking through this list, I was like, I know exactly who he's going to pick and it was not Spielberg. So who's your runner up? My runner up is Terrence Malick, who I really wanted to choose had Spielberg been in the 60s. <laughs> I think Malick has made also some great films. We talked about The Tree of Life previously on the pod and I have a poster of that in my room he obviously inspired Chloe Zhao's work and his films are very naturalistic and the way he shoots them there's just this serene quality to the entire film so I think I really enjoy experiencing that feeling and again the grandness this like greater than life feeling that nature can provide I know you love him. I need to try again. It can be hit or miss. Like, Knight of Cups maybe wasn't great, but 
he has enough where I really love them. It kind of offsets some of his other films. Yeah. So who is your runner-up? My runner-up is a director that you do not vibe with, and that is (laughs) David Lynch, (laughs) who was very close to becoming my winner. I think that his films, every time I'm watching one of them, and these aren't films I actually return to very often, which is odd for me because I do rewatch a lot, but I find the experience of watching a David Lynch film for the first time and trying to figure out what he's saying and what he's trying to communicate through his imagery and through his themes, that is just an experience that I love so much and I love Mulholland Drive I love Blue Velvet Twin Peaks obviously I know we're film podcast but I do have to mention Twin Peaks but I think David Lynch is wholly original and I think people have been trying to copy David Lynch for decades and no one can quite do it like he can I know you said you'll try again I've tried multiple times I just you're right I don't get it I guess or I have trouble with the route he takes like, I rewatched Mulholland Drive in the theater like a year and a half ago, but I've tried Twin Peaks. I got pretty far in, but I just couldn't do it. This is our disconnect with our runners up, I guess. Well, I think, too, if we're thinking about like Malik, a lot of his imagery being very like grounded in Christian symbolism and like very, like you said, serene things. David Lynch is the complete opposite of that. Like, it, nothing is serene or if something does seem to appear calm or visually appealing with, like, beautiful colors mm-hmm. and it feels very dreamlike and ethereal, there's always some sort of violence or discord or disconnect underneath it. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is what I like. And he was really the first director that... I found to be like really intoxicating where after watching his films, it was the only thing I could think about for weeks. And that's something I look to now and I hope and hope and hope I can find it when I see things. And it's just so rare. I think the first two directors to do that for me were Hitchcock and then David Lynch. So I do love him a lot. Yeah. I feel like these would be switched for you. I would have put David Lynch as your winner and then Spielberg as a follow-up. We're going to change it live. David Lynch is my winner. (laughs) There we go. As influential as Jaws was for me, David Lynch changed the way that I watch movies. So he's now my winner. I was also close to picking Jonathan Demme. Well, at least for both of our former runners up, neither of them had won Best Director at the Oscars, but they had both been nominated. David Lynch should have won for Mulholland Drive. That was actually a big year of directors at the Oscars. Ron Howard won for A Beautiful Mind, David Lynch, Peter Jackson for The Fellowship of the Ring, Ridley Scott for Black Hawk Down, and Robert Altman for Gosford Park. Okay, it should have been David Lynch or Robert Altman. That is so easy. (laughs) And the fact that Ron Howard just made Hillbilly Elegy and won Best Director, there we go, problem with the category, summed up. All right, so now we're moving on to the 1980s. Some of our eligible directors here are... Pedro Almodovar, Robert Redford, Michael Mann, Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron, Barry Levinson, James L. Brooks, Ethan and Joel Cohen, Spike Lee, Peter Jackson, Jane Campion, Paul Greengrass, Richard Linklater, and Steven Soderbergh. How do you feel about this group of directors? Is this a group of people that you really like? How do you feel about this decade? Like you had problems with the 70s. I think maybe this is where I had trouble because... All of these directors made films in the 90s, and I was growing up in the 90s and not watching, like, 
more adult PG-13 or R-rated films. So I think of this group, it's one that they're films that I've returned to and sought out on my own to watch. I think we do have a lot of big names here. Maybe the biggest being Robert Redford. Whose directorial debut, I will say, is one of my favorites on the list. Definitely. Ordinary People, which we'll probably talk about at some point. How did you do with this decade? This was easier for me. I was really only considering two options here, which made it a lot easier than before when I had like six or seven that I was thinking of. So who did you end up picking for your winner? I ended up picking the Coen brothers, who we talked a lot about last week for No Country for Old Men, but thinking of some of their other films. So their debut, Blood Simple, is incredible. If you haven't seen that, definitely check out Blood Simple. It's just a very pure version, I think, of what they still are doing now and of them at their best. Last week, we mentioned other films of theirs like A Serious Man, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, Burn After Reading even. And I think that their films are very quirky. They go into film noir, which I really, really love. A lot of those classic noir films. So I like that they're able to play with that. And they blur the lines of different genres. You could be in a Western, you could be in a crime drama, but there's still still a really clear sense of where you are. They really understand their spaces. I also just like how Midwestern they feel. The Coens are from the Midwest and I like how their characters feel very real especially contrasting with Spielberg, where I think you have these big heroes in most of his films. The Coens really have protagonists who have questionable morals, and I like that, or who make a lot of mistakes and who are their own worst enemies. I cannot wait to see The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, I think I would just reiterate a lot of what you said and what we said last week on the pod. And the Coen brothers at the Oscars, they're very popular with the Academy, They've been nominated for 14 Academy Awards, and they've won four. Two for writing for Fargo and No Country for Old Men. One for Best Director and one for Best Picture, both for No Country for Old Men. And then just a cool fact is that they have three Oscars for the same film, and that's only been accomplished by seven other filmmakers. Most recently, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Oh. And then who is your pick? My pick goes to Spike Lee who I think is another filmmaker who I really like because he doesn't care what other people think. Mm -hmm. And he makes movies because he wants to make a really important statement. And the first movie I saw from Spike was probably Miracle at St. Anna, which again is an odd first (laughs) film of his to watch. But I did like it. Apparently it didn't do well with critics. But I think from there I saw Do the Right Thing. That was a long time ago, too. And what I really like is that over time, what he's saying hasn't changed. He just does it in new ways. And I think that's not something I can say about a lot of filmmakers. I love Spike Lee. It's a great pick. Also, one that I was very close to making. I agree with you. I like that he is an unapologetic visionary. And when I watch a Spike Lee movie, I know that what I'm seeing is going to be the unfiltered version. It's going to be Mm -hmm. exactly what he wants which even when his films are made or produced by studios, he's still able to do that. And his films are pretty timeless, I think, but they're very contemporary. He isn't afraid to talk about political issues. 
And when Do the Right Thing came out, I mean, again, another, I think, huge Oscar travesty that he didn't win for Do the Right Thing. If you played that film today, you would think that he made it in 2021. We've talked about Spike a lot on the pod We had like a little retrospective when we did our Defy Bloods episode. We've talked about American Utopia. And so at the Oscars, Spike's first nomination was an original screenplay for Do the Right Thing. But his Best Director nomination only came with Black Klansman a few years ago. And he ended up winning screenplay for that. And I think, you know, of recent really memorable speeches or I guess in this case outfits as well where he's in his purple suit and I think that moment was really special definitely and he if you can tell by how I'm talking about him is my runner-up and then my runner-up are the Coen brothers so there we are again we were, <laughs> yeah. we are so aligned today this is something else cancer is almost upon us <laughs> are you ready for the most difficult decade of them all in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) this was the most difficult i again we're aligned why was this hard for you well okay so we're talking about the 1990s here let's read through the names and i think that'll give everyone an idea of why this was so challenging for us because there are some good ones here okay so alfonso cuaron john singleton david fincher ing lee m night Shyamalan. Quentin Tarantino, Guillermo del Toro, Paul Thomas Anderson, Darren Aronofsky, Wes Anderson, Christopher Nolan, Denis Villeneuve, Sofia Coppola, Spike Jones, and Sam Mendes. Lots of really, really big names. Yeah. And I think because of when we grew up, these are the directors who are kind of the new guard of our time, who are influencing people of our generation to go make movies and who are constantly talked about still in current award seasons and who when I see that a new film is made by most of the people on this list I am thrilled and just ready to see it whatever it is totally I think these are the filmmakers that I'm waiting to hear what their next film is going to be and I think also Ones that I'm like, okay, what have they made? I need to go back and watch everything. Mm -hmm. I had trouble here because there are so many that have shaped a lot of the movies that I've loved growing up and more now like in my teen years, through college, and even until today. Definitely. When I was going through this, I was just kind of like doing a pulse check if I was picking the right people like for me and was asking like, my sister and some of my friends like does this make sense for me to pick this person and before I even said who my person was for this decade no joke every person was like well you have to pick x (laughs) and I had so it was just like a good match and it it made sense and even with all of these people here I think that like these are the filmmakers that we really really care about what they're making because it's had that type of connection with us yeah, when I first started, I had five people uh-huh. going for number one. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this was very difficult. So who did you end up picking? My winner here is Wes Anderson, which is so hard to say. I don't know. I <laughs> I think I chose him because he has the most unique style and one that when you say his name, you're like, okay, this is what we're getting. We're getting these quirky films with probably some of the same actors because he works with 
a lot of the same people throughout many of his films. Mm-hmm. And we're getting movies that are visually appealing and symmetrical, which not a lot of filmmakers do all the time. But I think Wes uses it in a way that doesn't get boring or overused. I think you hit the nail on the head with his visual style. I think that when you hear the name Wes Anderson, you can picture these bright, vivid, visually stunning films with characters who are incredibly memorable with scripts that I also really love. In addition, I don't think that Wes is style over substance. I think some filmmakers like him are or who try to emulate him are, but I think there's a lot of heart in his films, whether it's like stop motion animation films like Fantastic Mr. Fox, which we both love, or something like The Royal Tenenbaums, which was my first Wes Anderson movie. If we think about Wes at the Oscars, he's been nominated seven times, but he's never won. He's been nominated in multiple categories, Best Animated Feature, Best Original Screenplay, Best Picture, and Best Director. Those films that he's been nominated for, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Isle of Dogs, The Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, and his biggest like Oscar hit, which was The Grand Budapest Hotel. So I'm hopeful that The French Dispatch can also be a big Oscar player this year. Yes. So who is your pick here? My pick, which will probably surprise no one, is Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes, that does not surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think quickly before I get into my love for PTA, we should just go over his Oscar stuff. He hasn't won any yet, but he's been nominated for seven, so just like Wes Anderson. He mostly has been nominated in the screenplay categories, but he's also gotten Best Director nominations for There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread. I'm hoping that Soggy Bottom slash the Untitled PTA is an Oscar player, but even if it isn't, I'm so excited for it, and I'm sure I will love it. I mentioned David Lynch having a very particular effect on me. His films just invading my brain for weeks after seeing them, and Paul Thomas Anderson is a director who does that for me without fail. I love how chaotic and intense his films can be, but also can be incredibly intellectual and restrained, especially as you move, I think, later on in his filmography, you get that. But there's something about him and his sense of humor that just really works for me and works with my sense of humor. I think that the suspense that he builds in films, even the montages in Magnolia, if we think about the editing... I love the sound design in his films. I think that his cinematography is beautiful, whether it's whether it's like Robert Elswit, his go-to cinematographer, or if he's shooting his own film, like in Phantom Thread, it just looks gorgeous. And in addition to his films just being really unique and having all of these technical components to them, I love the performances that he gets out of his actors. We have Philip Seymour Hoffman performances in his films, even unknown actors like Vicky Crepes, I think that he gets these performances out of his actors that you would never expect. How do you feel about Inherent Vice? That was my problem with PTA. I like Inherent Vice. I think that it's one of his most beautiful movies, actually. I do think that he runs into a problem that it's a very tricky source material to adapt. And I think that worked better for him with There Will Be Blood, where he fully kind of goes off script 
there and like does his own thing. But I haven't disliked any PTA movies really. And then who is your runner up? This was also really hard for me. Having to choose somebody, I'm leaving out so many names, Mm -hmm. namely David Fincher. But I will go with Denis Villeneuve here because he had the most incredible decade of movies that are just so contemplative. I, like you mentioned previously about other films and directors, make me think about them for weeks or months on end. And that's what I really love to get out of movies. So his one Oscar nomination, which was in directing, was for Arrival in 2016. But his 2010s, so he started in 2010 with On Sunday, which you need to watch still. I know. Incredible. I know. But from there, he made Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, and Blade Runner 2049. And that was all in seven years, which is just mind-blowing, amazing cinema. And obviously, Dune is coming, and I cannot wait. So who was your runner-up? So here I was between three. I was between David Fincher, Quentin Tarantino, and my choice, which is Sofia Coppola. When I'm thinking about my favorite films that have come out, I love her style. I think that she is better at world building than Christopher Nolan. I think that she understands the details that she needs, the aesthetic that she wants to achieve, and this vision that is hers. And the fact that she made Virgin Suicides as her directorial debut is insane. That Mm -hmm. is a fully realized director's vision off the jump. She also, I think, has one of the best industry glow-ups going from The Godfather Part 3 to becoming this incredible filmmaker. (laughs) While some of her movies aren't as successful, maybe, with critics as others, I always find something in her films that I really love and that I think about long after I leave the theater. Even, like, The Beguiled, which I think is pretty forgotten for her now compared to her -hmm. bigger ones like Lost in Translation or Marie Antoinette, which is my favorite, or even The Bling Ring, is that like I was still thinking about how she depicted all of those women in that story and how they responded to the Colin Farrell character. So I think looking across the board, while I really love Quentin Tarantino's films and I love David Fincher's films, I wanted to also shout out Sophia here because she's a pioneer for women in the filmmaking industry and we have not talked about a woman yet we've mentioned Mm -hmm. two I think so far she's the third so I really wanted to Mm -hmm. mention her here I haven't seen all of Sophia's films and I will say I haven't seen the virgin suicides but I will say like throughout her career she's been pretty stable and confident we've talked about a very merry Christmas on the pod before (laughs) but Even with On the Rocks last year, which I don't think got a lot of hype either, but I think is a really sweet film and a great follow-up to Lost in Translation. And a lot of our other films, I'm a bigger fan of The Bling Ring than you are, I know. (laughs) But I like how she focuses on the characters and the relationships they form together. Yeah, and... I love how in her films, like, she takes the girls and the women in the films very seriously. Like, she cares about their feelings and their emotions and the way that they're moving through the world and navigating adolescence. And even in the case of On the Rocks, like, what it's like to just be a woman in your 40s and just, like, having these kids and what that type of life is like. And I just, I feel that no one really understands 
how to capture loneliness like she does. So that's another thing that always resonates with me about her films. Similar to, I think, how you like West films. Like, Sophia films are just so beautiful to me, and I just love looking at them. Mm -hmm. It's just always a fun experience. All right. Now, on to the 2000s. We have some interesting names here, I will say. Some of our eligible directors, we have Bong Joon-ho, Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu, Yorgos Lanthimos, Todd Phillips, Tom Hooper, George Clooney, Adam McKay, Jason Reitman, Barry Jenkins, Steve McQueen, and Damien Chazelle. How was this decade for you? This one was on the easier side for me. I definitely like this group of names generally and can pinpoint some of my favorite movies of all time. And I think, you know, getting into the 2000s and the 2010s, we've been around and loving cinema for that entire time. So I think it's easier to follow these people and know about their history a little bit more than maybe the other directors, at least for me. How is this for you? This was pretty easy because to me, there were like two clear camps, which was one group of filmmakers whose stuff I really love and the other group of filmmakers whose stuff was really hit or miss. So that was like an mm-hmm. easier divide, I think, than I've had before. And probably because I have less history with them. I think that, yes, like growing up and experiencing like them in action is one thing, but also like we don't have the history of what was it like to work with Robert Altman or to work with Mike Nichols and to have like all of that history there. So it's a little bit easier to kind of see these people for who they are and not as these kind of heroes of the medium. So that made it a little bit easier for me, but it was also really exciting because these people, I thought much more in this group of, okay, where do I see them going next? And in that being a big factor in my decision-making for who my winner is here. Okay, interesting. So who was your winner? My winner is Barry Jenkins. And Barry is my winner because I love how much empathy he has for his actors and how dedicated he is to telling their stories and the care that he has for them. And it's so evident in the way that he tells his stories. His films remind me of Jonathan Demme, the way that he frames his actors. His films remind me of John Cassavetes, who I know is a huge influence on him and definitely one of my favorite earlier filmmakers that we ran through today. But what I love about Barry is, you know, when you're watching an interview or when you're seeing one of his films that he still views himself as this lifelong student of cinema. He cares so much about it and is so dedicated to telling stories that aren't told typically and that started when he was in film school he noticed that people were watching Spielberg movies or a lot of the same types of movies and he said like okay I need to watch something different I don't want to make you know the same type of thing I want to tell different types of stories and he went to Blockbuster as a kid and he went to the foreign film section He tells the story on the Criterion channel. They have the the Adventures in Movie Going videos. And he talks about how he saw Quentin Tarantino's face on the spine of Chunking Express. And he was like, why is Tarantino's face on this Wong Kar Wai movie? But it led him to watch it and it just changed his life. So I think just his fondness for international cinema too. And again, just a visually stunning storyteller. Who did you pick? I chose Bong Joon-ho because all of his films don't hold back. 
I think his films are some of the most thrilling that I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And I felt that over and over. It's not just one of them. I mean, we can talk about Parasite first. was the first international film to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Bong Joon-ho became the first Korean man to win Best Director. And I think it's his best work and maybe my favorite Best Picture win of all time. And even though that was the first film he was nominated for, you look back and he has so many crazy films like Mother, I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. It's so disturbing, but I think he tells these really captivating stories. And he's another director that covers a lot of genres. So he's also done a sci-fi movie called The Host. He's done more like dramas, like Memories of Murder. But he also really likes to focus on the environment and climate change. And to watch that theme play out throughout all of his movies is actually really interesting. Even in Parasite, it plays its own role in the film. And I think he understands the filmmaking process so, so well. So Bong Joon-ho is my runner-up. I mean, it was very close. And I think... Mm -hmm we will probably talk about Parasite in a bit when we do our awards at the end. But when I saw Parasite, what instantly stood out to me was just how well everything came together. I love Bong Joon-ho's films. I think that while Parasite is the big one, you're right that he has so many others that are worth watching. And I loved The Host. I watched that actually again at the beginning of COVID when I was in my disaster science movie kick. I think also just a titan in the industry and someone that people really look up to. So a great choice. And I think what's fun about his films is that they're so unexpected. Thinking back to the first time I saw Parasite, it's like, I wish I could feel that again. Yeah. (laughs) But you feel that in all of his movies. Like, I didn't want to watch The Host initially because I was like, oh, here's another weird sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. But then you watch it and it's totally different than Mm -hmm. some just like CG film that I don't really look forward to usually. So I am excited to see where Bong Joon-ho goes next. We'll talk about his next feature coming up. But my runner-up was also Barry Jenkins. So we just switched off again. (laughs) I think his vision is just so beautiful. I can think back to so many different shots, mainly from Moonlight, but also from If Beale Street Can Talk. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's been nominated for three Oscars. He was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for If Beale Street Could Talk and then Best Director for Moonlight, and he won Best Adapted Screenplay for Moonlight. What's interesting also about Barry is that when I think back to those Oscars, the La La Land Moonlight Oscars, I always Mm -hmm. think that Barry won Best Director. I don't know why I think (laughs) of it that way. I always think that Moonlight won both picture and director i really hope he does someday and i think he will i think so too and have you watched the underground railroad yet no and i cannot wait i know it's going to be intense but so incredibly crafted Mm -hmm. i love lulu wong's tweets and posts about her support for barry and yeah really how well the show is done all around from critics i'm very excited to watch yeah he's a very patient filmmaker and that is something i really really appreciate So last up are the 2010s. The eligible directors here are Ben Zeitlin, Chloe Zhao, Greta Gerwig, and Jordan Peele. Who is your winner here? This was actually pretty easy for me. It was just hands down Greta Gerwig. And that's not to say I don't like the other directors because I do. But I will never forget the first time that I saw Lady Bird. 
or Little Women. And she only has two features. Both features could not be warmer, more energetic, or more precise. And they are completely different. One is a high school film that she made feel completely necessary, even though those types of films have been done plenty of times. And the other Mm -hmm. is an adaptation of Little Women, which we already had multiple of those, but she proved that she was born to tell Louisa May Alcott's story and to show what Joe cared about. And through both of her films, I just, I love that she knows exactly where to put the camera every single time. And there are some scenes in both of those movies that I will never forget. When I think of just filmmakers that I care about and that I love and movies that I love, I think of scenes from her movies. I love her so much, and I I bought her stock when I saw Lady Bird, basically, and I feel that I'm going to continue to benefit off of it, really, for the rest of my life. Well, Greta Gerwig is my runner-up. I'll mention Lady Bird in a bit, but I was fascinated by it. We mentioned so many movies today, and I really want to go back and watch some of them now. Mm-hmm. Lady Bird being one of them, it's just always a crowd-pleaser. It's emotional. She gets the nostalgia of high school right, and... What's fun about Greta is that she's also an actress, and I really love some of the films that she's acted in, and she'll be in other films that are in production now. So it's not like she's switched to being a director, and I love that we get both sides of her Mm -hmm. because she can act, but she also has these incredibly touching stories to tell, Mm -hmm. and I really love experiencing those. Yeah, and I think that... Maybe it's like being an actress that helps her as a director too, because there haven't been many times where I've felt the level of affection that she has for her characters from another director for their characters. I think for Lady Bird and for Little Women, she cares about every single character on the screen. It isn't just her main character that she's developing. And I think that's a problem that so many directors and writers run into is that certain characters just feel like side characters or supporting characters but in her case every single character is cared for and loved and nurtured and you can you can feel that in all of her films who is your winner so my winner is chloe Zhao. i guess bringing back some malik redemption (laughs) because i feel like her films are similar in a way but she's also telling these stories that aren't being told And they're so heartfelt, they're so deep, and there's so much to unpack through these narratives and the locations. And she brings together all the aspects of her films really well. We talked about Nomadland quite a bit, and I'm so happy it won, and that she won for it. My first experience with Chloe was with The Rider, which came out in 2018. It totally blew me away. I was the only person in the small theater, and... I was bawling my eyes out (laughs) from these characters and not only the relationships, but the perspective she was showing, even though they're really specific stories, I think she makes them relatable for all audiences. Have you seen The Writer or Songs My Brother Taught Me? I love The Writer. I actually like The Writer better than Nomadland, but I have not seen Songs My Mm -hmm. Brother Taught Me. I know I need to watch it. For Ohio people, Gateway Film Center is doing a Chloe Zhao retrospective and showing all three of her films. So (laughs) if you're in Columbus, you should go. And Chloe is my runner-up. I love the way that she blends 
like a documentary style with her like naturalism, similar to Malik. She clearly is great at working with actors too, because she's able to work with people like Frances McDormand and David Strathairn, who are these big actors, but also to work with people who are non-actors. And I like that she is able to incorporate non-professional actors into her films. So I love her and I'm excited to see where she goes with Eternals. So now we have a wrap-up game we're going to play with all of our winners that we've selected. So just a reminder, our winners were Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, David Lynch, Spike Lee, the Coen brothers, Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, Bong Joon-ho, Barry Jenkins, Greta Gerwig, and Chloe Zhao. So we'll be going through a few categories here, and we're going to be picking our favorite of the bunch. So we have Best First Feature... Best First Oscar nomination, which has to be in the Best Director category. Best Oscar win, also only in Best Director. Most Recent Film, and Most Anticipated Film. So for Best First Feature, our nominees are The Killing, Who's That Knocking at My Door, Duel, Eraserhead, She's Gotta Have It, Blood Simple, Heart Eight, Bottle Rocket, Barking Dogs Never Bite, Medicine for Melancholy, Ladybird and Songs My Brother Taught Me. This is very easy for me, Ladybird. I think we have some really good nominees here, but my choice is also Ladybird. I love it so much. Our next award will be Best First Oscar nomination. The nominees are Dr. Strangelove, Raging Bull, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Elephant Man, Black Klansman, Fargo, There Will Be Blood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Parasite, Moonlight, Ladybird, and Nomadland. This is rough. <laughs> this is really hard. In interest of maybe spreading the wealth a little bit here, I think <laughs> yeah. the best first Oscar nom, I will give it to Stanley Kubrick for Dr. Strangelove. One of my favorite Kubrick films. Beautiful, brilliant, dark comedy. It's taught in like international relations classes still to this day. Like, not even film classes. I think it's just a brilliant, brilliant piece of filmmaking and probably should have won him an Oscar. I like that pick. I think that's really close for me, but also spreading the wealth. I'm going to go with Moonlight here Okay. for Barry Jenkins. That's a good pick. I won't dispute that. Again, in my brain, he won Best Director for this movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so our next category is Best Oscar Win. So this really narrows things down a little bit here. We have The Departed. Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, No Country for Old Men, Nomadland, and Parasite. This for me, I've alluded to already. I'm going with Parasite. It's my favorite and, in this case, best best director win. I'm also going with Parasite. And one of the reasons I'm going with it here is because he beat very stiff competition in the category. Mm -hmm. Like Scorsese for The Irishman and Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood great films at least to me and it was great when he won this i think that's when we kind of knew the night was going to be a great one and also the fact that sam mendes had been winning a lot of the awards previously mm -hmm. and the fact that bong joon ho won meant i think even more and i think to parasite he had complete control over everything in that movie and i haven't seen many films in my lifetime that have come together that perfectly so next up is Best Most Recent Film. The nominees are Eyes Wide Shut, The Irishman, Ready Player One, 
Inland Empire, Defy Bloods, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Phantom Thread, Isle of Dogs, Parasite, If Beale Street Could Talk, Little Women, and Nomadland. I will be giving my Oscar here to Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. I think Spreading the Wealth, again, Parasite is close. I wish I loved Eyes Wide Shut more, but I'm going to go with Nomadland. Okay. And lastly, our most anticipated film, Killers of the Flower Moon, West Side Story, Untitled Musical and Prince of Cats, which is a Romeo and Juliet retelling, The Tragedy of Macbeth, Soggy Bottom, The French Dispatch, Bong Joon-ho's Untitled Animated Feature, Lion King 2, Barbie, and Eternals. A Spike Lee musical really sounds so intriguing, but I'm going to go with Killers of the Flower Moon here. That's also my pick, Killers of the Flower Moon. I cannot wait to see how this turns out. The book is great, and it's apparently a Scorsese Western epic, so I can't wait for that. So I'm happy with our lists overall. I think that we picked some directors that were really important to us, and we agreed more than we usually do, which I think that does show how important certain directors have been to our generation. And even though we only spoke about seven decades, we still mentioned other filmmakers that had made films before the 50s. So lots of influential people. The really interesting thing is that besides Stanley Kubrick, everyone else is still alive and making films and that all of these people love what they do and they're not stopping anytime soon. So while they continue to make films, they're inspiring the next generation of filmmakers. And I think that's exciting in passing the torch along. Well, we just shared a little bit of information about some of our favorite filmmakers who We've talked about a lot on the podcast before. We read through so many incredible names. So definitely check out the works of every director that we mentioned today and see who you like and who your favorite would be from these decades. I liked also that we framed them of when they kind of came on the scene and when they first got started, because it's always, I think, cool to start at the beginning and then work through someone's filmography. And now I think I have some ideas for fun episodes we can do on maybe some of the directors that we liked and came close to picking, but didn't really get to talk about today. Yeah, well, two in particular that we didn't get to talk about at all because they had made films previously were Billy Wilder and Alfred Hitchcock, Mm -hmm. and I really want to cover them on the pod now. Yeah. So next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be talking about two recent releases that are both coming out tomorrow. That is A Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella. I'm very excited to watch both of these films. Very different, but I think... A Quiet Place, when that came out, made such a splash, and I'm excited to see the follow-up to it, and if I like it better than the first one. With Cruella, Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about Disney live-action remake, so I'm excited to see how this one stacks up to the other ones that they've done, and I will also be comparing it, obviously, to the iconic Glenn Close 101 Dalmatians. (laughs) So far, both of these films have had positive reviews from critics, Mm -hmm. so I'm really excited to see both of these two, and I think it was either a tweet or a review of Cruella saying it was Disney's best live-action film, which is really exciting, Mm -hmm. I think especially for us, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) since we're really quick to judge Disney a lot of the time. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod and 
Let us know what you thought of today's episode and which directors you might pick in these decades. There are obviously like no wrong answers. We picked our favorites. So just let us know who you would pick and what you're watching. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next week. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye.